Uh, my name is Randy, and we're delighted to have you here as part of our worship service. Now, every Sunday in our worship service, we have as a part of our time a group Bible study, and that's what we're entering into now. We're uh, uh, going to have a large group Bible study. We've been talking about lately the difference Jesus makes in our relationships. Uh, it doesn't matter our history. It doesn't matter our background. It doesn't matter where we've come from. Jesus makes all of the difference in our relationships. Jesus orchestrates our uniquenesses into a beautiful unity that the world does not know. And when the world sees that kind of unity uh, from people, from all walks of life who come together in a room for no other reason than their love for Jesus. That, that is noticeable. And so we're going to look at a passage of Scripture today that talks about a conversation that Jesus had uh, with someone from a different background, someone from a different race. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 15, verses 21 to 28. You'll find Matthew 15, 21 to 28 on page 821 of your church Bibles. And I want us to hear a conversation that Jesus had with an individual from these verses. And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away. For she is crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She said, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. And then Jesus answered her, Oh, woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. This is God's word. Why do you have to call her a dog? I mean, why not the phrase that the Apostle John uses when Jesus said in that gospel, other sheep? Why couldn't he just said other sheep? Why dog? I mean, our series has been going really well up till when he had to say that, right? 
We've been talking about uh, multi-ethnic conversations and how Jesus makes all the difference. And we've looked at the Paul's letter to Philemon about uh, Paul from one background, Philemon from another background, the runaway slave Onesimus from yet another background, and how, how Jesus makes all the difference, and Onesimus makes amends, and Philemon offers grace, and Paul is the peacemaker, and peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. You all remember that, don't you? And then we went on to talk about the parable of the great feast, where in spite of all of our uniquenesses, God has brought us together, and what we have in common is that we are all at one table here. Oh, it was so good. The preaching and the preacher was so good, and, and, and he's so humble. And, and then, Jesus, you had to go say that. You had to use that. You had to, why do you have to call her a dog? Just makes my job harder. I have to explain your boss. Well, let's go to work. Verse 21 is where the story starts. Jesus uh, went away from there. Where's there? Well, let's take a look at this map. Uh, just to orient you, there's Israel. There's Jerusalem. Jesus has been ministering up by the Sea of Galilee. And then Jesus withdrew from there to go to an area uh, called Tyre and Sidon. Tyre and Sidon. That's along the coast. That's outside the border of Israel. So they're in an area, it's modern day Lebanon. They're in an area uh, called Phoenicia. And Jesus, you know, having gone through, you know, the death of John the Baptist and uh, feeding of the 5,000, the miracle of walking on the water, and he's healing people and the Pharisees and scribes are pushing back Jesus and the disciples, as would often happen, he withdrew. They withdrew, and they withdrew to an area north of Israel's border, and they just kind of needed some downtime. And so he went to this place beyond Israel's borders in non-Jewish territory, and once... The folks there found he was there. They went there. And that's when she showed up. Jesus is in the house. And she goes to the house. And she's like in the courtyard. She cries out. You know, I know you're in there. My little girl needs help. Verse 22. Behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. Now, she's Canaanite. She's non-Jewish. She's Gentile. And yet she recognizes him as the Davidic king, the long-awaited Messiah, the son of God. O Lord, son of David, my daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. This mother is desperate for her daughter, whom she had seen suffer. Suffer from weight loss. Suffer from self-inflicted wounds. Suffer psychologically. Suffer from lack of sleep. Suffer from lack of hygiene. Her care for her daughter had affected her relationships 
with her friends, her family, the community, such that she says, look what she says. She doesn't say, have mercy on my daughter. What does she say? Have mercy on me. Look at what this is doing to me. And not in a self-centered kind of way, but in a way that every mother would feel when her daughter is suffering. My daughter suffers and I feel the pain. Now, what mother does not understand this? And what mother is not desperate to do whatever it takes to help her child? And that's why she's there. And to this pleading, weeping, despairing mother, how will Jesus respond? Verse 23. But he did not answer her a word. Unbelievable. He didn't say yes. He didn't say no. He didn't say. He was silent. Now there are times when we understand the silence of Christ. For instance, when Jesus stood before the high priest, the wicked high priest, Caiaphas, and the Sanhedrin had queried him, interrogated him. Caiaphas says, what do you have to say to all of these testimonies against you? Scripture says he was silent. We understand that. And we understand when Jesus stood before Pontius Pilate, finally, Pilate says, what about all these testimonies against you? What do you have to say to that? Jesus was silent. We understand that, don't we? But this, he's silent. This Canaanite mother aching over her daughter begs Jesus, and he pretends that she's not even there. We don't get that, do we? And we don't like it. Do you know why we don't like it? Because we're Americans, that's why. And Americans don't like silence anyway. Anne Morrow Lindbergh wrote these words many years ago. We seem so frightened today of being alone that we never let it happen. Even if family, friends, and movies should fail, there's still the radio to fill up the void. That's in the day before iPods and iPhones. And now instead of planting our solitude... With our own dream blossoms, we choke the space with continuous music, chatter, and companionship to which we do not even listen. It is simply there to fill the vacuum. And when the noise stops, there's no inner music to take its place. Silence. How do you deal with the silence of God? How do you deal with the God who for 400 years was silent while his people made bricks in Egypt? How do you deal with that silence? How do you deal 
with the silence of God who tells you to get in a boat and then proceeds to go to sleep while your life is in danger. How do you deal with that silence? How do you deal with the silence of God when 58 lives are ruthlessly cut down in a matter of minutes by pure evil? Or when 58 lives are cut down over 28 days in Chicago just last month. How do you deal with silence? Our frustration with silence often reveals the kind of Christ that we really worship. <laughs> and often it's not the Christ of the Bible. It is what one scholar has called a vending machine Jesus. A vending machine Jesus before whom we stand and take out our prayer coins and we insert them into the machine and we push the button fully expecting the vending machine to give us whatever we want, whenever we want it, however we want it. And if he doesn't, well then maybe he doesn't exist after all. There is a question that these verses lead us to ask, and it's the question of Job chapter 1, verse 9. Does Job fear God for nothing? Am I only willing to serve God and worship Him when it benefits me? Or am I willing to serve Him for who He is and His mysterious purposes? Do I have to figure out all that's in God's mind in order for me to worship him. Jesus often will do this. He will take us to the brink to see if we will truly trust him even when he is silent. Are we willing to worship Jesus even when he's silent? Well, this much is for sure. The disciples weren't silent. They always had something to say. And they were true to form here. In verse 23, And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she's crying out after us. Jesus, get her out of here. Fix this and send her on. Lady, get lost. Lord, are you going to do something or what? Fix her and get, get her out of here. They're embarrassed by her. You know, she's female. It's a male culture. She's Canaanite. In Mark's narrative of this, in Mark chapter 7, verses 24 to 30, this woman is referred to as the Syrophoenician woman. And that is a regional reference. Syrophoenicia, Tyre and Sidon. But Matthew intentionally calls her a Canaanite woman, referring to her race. Her ancestors were historic enemies of Israel. And, and so they just don't want to deal with her. Send her away. She has issues. She has problems. She's high maintenance. Send, fix this, Jesus, and send her away. And besides, aren't they off the clock? I mean, we withdrew. 
We're not on duty now. She's cutting into our time away. She is a disruption to real life. Real life. They have their plans, but she's keeping them from what they wanted to do. Does that not happen to us? You know, we want to go work out, but just when we're leaving, a family member calls. Or, you know, an unplanned circumstance causes us to miss a deadline. Or, or we're at home relaxing, and then suddenly a neighbor shows up and wants to talk. And it's like, I don't want to talk. Or we're getting ready to go on vacation, and, and, and someone in the family gets sick. C.S. Lewis once said that we need to stop seeing these unplanned interruptions as barriers to our own real life. Instead, he wrote, you know, what one calls the interruptions are precisely one's real life. The life God is sending day after day after day, what one calls one's real life is a phantom of one's own imagination. In other words, interruptions are not obstacles to our plan. They are opportunities for us to embrace God's plan. And that's a good word, isn't it? However, it appears from verse 24 that Jesus never read C.S. Lewis. <laughs> he answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. <laughs> so Jesus finally spoke, but not to her. To them, within earshot of her. Fellas, she's not my mission. She's not in our territory. She's going to have to wait until the book of Acts. <sighs> Talk about having to explain your boss. You know, he ignores her, he excludes her, he dismisses her. What is he doing? Now, the question is, what is she doing? Verse 25, but she came and knelt before him saying, Lord, help me. Help me. That's a good prayer. Usually when we pray long prayers, it means we're not in a crisis. Right? Have you ever heard anyone in a crisis pray, Oh, most gracious, merciful, omnipotent, and omniscient Father God who transcends time and territory, we pray your divine, watchful, shepherding care. If you're praying that prayer, that means you're not in a crisis. If you're in a crisis, you're going to pray, God, help! Now that's a good prayer. I need help. I mean, her concern for her little girl was so deep and her belief in Christ's power was so profound, she fell to her knees. That is an act of worship, not knowing what would happen next. What is going to happen next? Even then, Jesus puts her off. Verse 26, and he answered, it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Now, in the first century, a dog wasn't a pet. 
dog was a scavenger, not much better than a pig in, he, in the Hebrew mind. And you can figure out the analogy, right? Children equals Israel. Uh, uh, Canaanite woman equals dog. Why, 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 why would he do this? Here's why. He wanted to test her faith. He wanted to inspect the integrity of her faith. Church family, you will never make peace with Christianity if you are unwilling to accept Jesus as he is and not as you would have him. If he is, in fact, the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, if he is the word made flesh, if by him all things are created, if all things are by him, from him, and for him, then he has the royal right to inspect the thoughts and intentions of our hearts. And that's what he's exercising here. It's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. And she disagrees. She says, yes, it is. Yes, it's right. Verse 27. Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. I know you are Jewish and I'm not. I get that. But you are the promised son of David. And I am acknowledging that you are the long-awaited Messiah, the legitimate, rightful son of promise. And I get the analogy, Jesus. I get it that the children are Israel and I'm the dog. I get that. And I can live with that because I'm in the house you created. The Canaanites might be dogs and Israel might be children, but you are the king of both, and that equalizes everybody. So I don't care what you call me. Call me dog, call me pig, call me a sinner, call me an outsider. I'm here because you're here, and I don't know everything, but what I know is that I do not have time to wait for the day of Pentecost. And I don't have time for you to give the Great Commission in Matthew 28. And I don't have time for the Apostle Paul to take the gospel to Rome. My little girl needs help now, and I am not leaving until you tell me my little girl is healed. Please help. And what Matthew shows us in her life here in Matthew 15 is the embodiment of the Beatitudes in Matthew 5. Did Jesus not say, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God? She is spiritually bankrupt. Did Jesus not say, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted? She, her, she's cried out. There are no more tears. She's mourned for her little girl. And her meekness... She's been willing to endure injury patiently and without resentment. That's what she's doing here. She comes and bows to the king for who he is, not what she can get. 
And she's hungering and thirsting for the righteousness that only Jesus can give, being satisfied only by him. And she's willing to endure persecution for the sake of love. Do you understand what's so hard about these verses? Jesus attaches an emotional word picture, dog, to the Beatitudes, and that's what makes it so hard to swallow. But here is a woman who searches for Jesus, finds Jesus, comes to Jesus, falls before Jesus, challenges Jesus, and in fact paves the way for the mission to come to the Gentiles. This woman is our mother. Here is a model for leaders about how to serve. Here is a non-disciple who gets it more than the 12. A non-Hebrew with more faith than anyone is Israel. A Gentile dog in Israel's eyes who in God's eyes and God's son's eyes is great. Because no other person in Matthew's gospel No other person is described whose faith is great than this woman. Verse 28, then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. Can the big idea be any clearer? Jesus Christ rewards relentless faith. He will not fail you. He answers us with his healing power in such a way as to reveal that he is Lord, not merely of Israel, but the nations. And what I want to say to my sisters in Christ here, what I want to say to to the Windsor Road women is that you are never more beautiful than when we get to witness your stubborn, relentless faith in worship, the faith that drives you to your knees before the Lord, the faith that cries out, I am not leaving you, Jesus. I'm not leaving you, Jesus. On behalf of the children you've put in my care, and some of our children are healthy, and some are hurting, and some are hospitalized, some are suffering, some are in prison, some are addicted. Twelve disciples roll their eyes and would rather deal with the less needy. But here we see extraordinary faith from this extraordinary woman. This is a Gentile who gets her daughter healed. This is a woman who disdains status more than men. This is a prayer warrior who understands persevering prayer more than the twelve. This is an impure person who has greater access to God than the Pharisees and scribes. And this is a woman whose story leads hearers to overcome a hostility which would set limits on who constitute the children of God. Jesus Christ rewards relentless faith. And and this dear soul's unfailing confidence in Christ leads her to boldly proclaim him as Lord and king, and she is willing to pay any price for the pearl of great price. And she's willing to suffer humiliation so that her little girl can receive the grace that only Jesus can give. And he healed her with his power. 
And that power would soon be put on display on the cross. Because on the cross, Jesus himself suffered the silence of his father. On the cross, the son of David would be cast from the table with no crumbs. On the cross, Jesus was treated like a dog. And why? Oh, he endured the silence of God so that our voices could sing as they did moments ago. Hallelujah, what a Savior. On the cross, the sun was cast from the table with no crumbs so that we could enjoy the bread of heaven. Jesus was treated like a dog so that we, by grace through faith, might be adopted as sons and daughters of the Father. That's why. And now, his spirit has fallen on his people. And dwelling in us, possessing life that's truly life. And that life includes a life of divine disruptions. Divine disruptions. You're going to get disrupted today once we leave these doors. You know why I know that? Because I'm talking about it right now. That's why I know that. And when it happens, don't be surprised. Realize this is an opportunity sent from heaven. Because you see, life in Christ means that there are no little people. There are no invisible people. He's given us his eyes to see as he sees. And Jesus called her what he did for his divine reasons. Don't you try that. You see, now we no longer see anyone from an earthly point of view. The kingdom perspective is ours through Christ. And by his power, we will persevere. And Jesus will reward us for our relentless, persevering faith. Amen.